Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. For those of us who woke up without water this morning, how good did that baptism look? <laughs> Almost signed up around two there. So if you can just leave that here, I'm going to have a little lather and dive in there after the service. Um, it's really good to be here um, this morning and to be teaching again. And um, I just want to acknowledge all of those who have taught in the series, Soul Care. Hasn't it been brilliant? Um, been some really solid, practical, deep advice and encouragement that's come out. So thank you, Wayne and Trish, Knox and Langer. Uh, and I really want to honor you, Trish. I think the, the sermon on Anadonia, besides just the power of it, it showed us the absolute compassion and conviction that you've got for the next generation. It was so palpable. So what a, what a, what a place to be when you've got um, a couple who love us so much and love our kids so much. My little girl has come to watch. And my, my little Anna, my beauty. Um, and my mom's here today, the mother duck. So... Uh, quite a while ago, while Tony and I were dating, we were actually at my mom's house for some dinner, and um, we were going from there to a church meeting. We were at Grace Family Church at the time, and um, we were going to drive. We had arrived separately, and we were, we were going to be driving there separately. And Tony had a, a little silver. You remember those Corsa lights on the light side of life? Raj one, Raj two. You remember that whole thing? Um, and then I had a, a, a little Toyota Taz, my favorite little Taz. My grand actually gave it to me. It was a, my, my favorite little car. And it got to dusk, and we needed to go. And um, Tones left out the driveway first, and I went, I went second. My mom was living at the bottom of Glenannel Street. And um, I got up to the T-junction by Sunningdale where that Fabrica and the Woolies is there. And from there, you turn left, and you go along Shanga Rocks Drive to get to Grace Family Church. But when I arrived, Tones was parked in the, well, she was in the lane that goes straight over the hill down into that area, um, I don't know what it's called, um, down where um, Victory Christian Academy and everything is. So I flashed her. Uh, I pulled up behind her, I flashed her, and I said, go left, go left, like I flashed her. And uh, she ignored me. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll be the good, the good boyfriend here, yeah, I'll follow her to church, you know. So I went over the hill. And um, Tones has always driven a little bit quick. She's the, the Italian race driver vibe about her. Uh, and so off she goes, and she's going quite quickly. So I'm flashing her, and I was like, slow down, you know. And we're weaving down into this area, and she's going the really odd way to get to Grace. And it's a lot simpler just to go on Schlanger Rocks Drive. But I'm tailing her, and I'm flashing her, and I'm trying to... And eventually, we, we, we get down towards the La Lucia Mall, and we turn right into this road. Now she's driving really quickly. And uh, as we get towards the mall, this car in front of me turns right into a driver, and I realize it's not Tony. It's another young girl driving a course of light that I, for the last five to ten minutes, have been flashing, tailing, and commanding her to do stuff. So yeah, I believe her family are quite happy in Australia, but um, <laughs> so I got to church and Tones is like, well, why did it take so long to get to? I was like, don't worry, don't worry about it. And this made me think, you know, um, this morning, I mean, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about following the wrong stuff. 
Um, and I want to talk about following Christ and what that does for our souls. And I want to really just dive into the idea that one of the most liberating things that can happen in our lives is when we are set free from ourselves. And when we come into the guidance of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes these things that we follow, they look like the right things at, at the time. Just like that car, it looked like the right car when I got to the thing, to the, to the, to the traffic lights. So my voice not coming through nicely. Just like that car, it looked like the right thing when I got to those traffic lights, but it was the wrong thing. Um, and, uh, and again, incredibly grateful for, for how we've spoken into this. But we as human beings have to acknowledge that we, we are followers. We love to follow. You know, if you go right back to hunter-gatherer days, we would have followed the person who knew how to hunt well and knew where the animals were into agriculture. We would have followed the person who knew how to farm. And if you think about, especially going back to the Anadonius sermon, the whole social media platform is based on fellowship. It's based on following. Who's got the most followers on Instagram? Cristiano Ronaldo, 440 million people follow him. And if you look at that list of the top people that we follow, it's the celebrities, it's the top sportsmen, it's the top actors, it's the people with fame and with wealth. And then some of us follow business leaders, some of us follow people that are involved in our industry. So naturally, we as human beings are follow. We want to follow what we call influencers. And this morning, I want to talk about what it means to truly follow Christ and what it means to allow him to be our influencer and to be our guide and to be our leader and what it truly means for our souls to come into his guidance because we were created to follow Christ first and foremost. That's where we have to start in our lives. And one of the most powerful images of this is found in the Bible where this relationship with God is described as sheep following a shepherd, a good shepherd. We being the sheep and Christ being the good shepherd. Psalm 103 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Luke 12, 12 says, Fear not. This is Jesus speaking. Little flock, flock of sheep. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in Ezekiel 34, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have scattered on this day of clouds and thick darkness. So this metaphor is used a lot in the Bible of sheep and shepherd, of us being the sheep and, and God being the, the good shepherd. But we need to dive into really understanding what that means for us, especially as the ones that are being labeled as the sheep. And to do that, I'm going to use probably the most well-known Scripture where we refer to the Lord as our shepherd, Psalm 23, written by David. It says this, it should be up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Beautiful scripture, written by David. All of us know him as, as King David, and it might just be worth quick, taking a quick snapshot of this author that wrote this psalm, because there's some things about his life that we can really identify with and relate with if we look at him. Jesse was the youngest son, uh, sorry, David was the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. Any lastborns in the house? Lastborns. Look at the faces when they put their hands up, like, yeah. Jesse was a farmer and a sheep breeder. And David would have spent most of his boyhood tending to Jesse's sheep, 
David knew intimately what it meant to be a shepherd, tending to sheep. And when David was growing up, Saul was king, and the prophet Samuel was called to go to Jesse to anoint one of his sons as the future king to take over from Saul. And he arrives there and he asks Jesse to bring his sons, and of course, the last born gets forgotten, left out. And he brings seven of his sons in front of him. The first was Eliab, and Samuel looks at Eliab. It's not the one. Then he brings this Abinadab. It's not the one. And then it was Shammah, not the one. After the third one, the Bible just stops naming them. <laughs> Get to the end of seven. Jesse's disappointed. Samuel's bewildered. And he says to Jesse, have you not got any other sons? Well, yeah, but, and the word that they use is hakaton, it's like there's the baby brother, the sort of the last born out in the fields, tending to the, do you want me to call him? And that's the first theme. Sometimes we feel like David, overlooked, undervalued, like we don't have anything to offer, dismissed, inconsequential, as though who we are is menial and that we don't count. But it's not what you do, it's who anoints you. It's not your position in your family, it's who anoints you. It's not where you're currently sitting in your organization, it's who anoints you. And here you've got Samuel going to Jesse through all the sons and that's what God will do, is He will find you, even if you're out in the field, the furthest place away from the prophets, and He will bring you to the place that you need to be. God will bring you to the place that you need to be. And as soon as Jesse meets David, David is the one, and he anoints him. Isn't it great to be anointed? That word, future king of Israel, can you imagine? That gravitas the recognition, there's something about my future, something about us as human beings, we, we want a sense of destiny. We, we, we want to know that there's something great for us. We have this expectation when we come into the kingdom and when we enter into a church that God's going to do something, use, our, use us. And straight away, it looks quite good for David. He, he ends up actually, because he's a harpist, he ends up playing for King Saul. Saul's in a little bit of a, he's a tormented soul at that time. And he calls for a, a harpist, a musician to come and to calm him. And David ends up in Saul's palace. God will position you. And quickly, David and Saul, David, uh, Dave, uh, Saul, David finds favor in Saul's sight. And then something pivotal happens. David kills Goliath. And all of a sudden, his stature and his fame begin to rise. And at the same time as David's stature and fame begins to rise, Saul's jealousy of David begins to rise. As we walk into what God has for us, of course we will face adversity. Of course people will start to get jealous. Of course people will start to torment us. Of course people will seek negative things over us. And Saul actually begins to plot ways to murder David. One of them was in order to marry his daughter, he needed to go out and get 100 Philistine foreskins. How's that for a challenge? I know Lebola and all that sort of thing is quite rough, Oaks, but 
No one had it rougher than David. Because he's walking into a death trap. Saul sent him into that because he knew he was going to die until David brought them back and said, there you go. But then it gets so intense that David has to run. And David ends up in the Badlands, almost a bit of a, a Robin Hood in many respects. He accrues this little army and he lives in the wilderness. He lives in the Badlands. And on one hand, he's running from Saul. But at the same time that he's running from Saul, he's, 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 he's fighting bad enemies and he's taking out things and God's bringing him into battles. And he rallies these, these, these people. But he lives out in the wilderness knowing that he was anointed king. And that's such a powerful narrative that we see so often in the Bible. I mean, Joseph having the dream and then going straight into the wilderness. David getting the prophets, um, the word spoken over them and then going into the badlands. And we know what that feels like when we have a sense of destiny. We have the words, the prophecies, the dreams, the sense of what we're going to do for the Lord. But we are struggling through trial out in the wilderness, doubting what's going on, wondering what on earth God is doing, trying to figure out things, struggling to just make things meet, feeling small rather than big. And in the midst of this, David is, is growing. And he writes the psalm, not while he was in the wilderness, but when he was made king, Psalm 23. And so as we read it together and we explore it, Know that it's not just written by a king. Know that it's written by an overlooked, inconsequential son of Jesse who was anointed and who rose in stature but then was forced to flee and spent a whole lot of time in the wilderness in the Badlands before coming back and taking his rightful place as king. And he opens Psalm 23 with this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yo, who does not want ya? How hard is it to say that? I shall not want. I want. Anybody else want? Yes. I read that scripture. I just stop there. I'm like, how? I, I, I lack nothing. My business lacks cash flow. I lack finances. You might lack a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You might lack a promotion. You might feel you lack and how you appear. I lack in talents. I lack in influence. I lack in joy. Whatever these things are, we have these lacks. And we're so focused on these lacks. We read the scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. What is going on there? What does it even mean? And the Bible is written, written in this rich metaphor. And now we know that David had an intimate knowledge of what it means to be a shepherd, shepherding in his sheep. And so when he says the Lord is my shepherd, that's where we need to focus. Not on this idea of, well, what does it mean to lack nothing? Well, David's saying I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. So what does that mean? So let's look at that. And in order to look at that, we have to look at what the shepherd is shepherding. And the shepherd is shepherding sheep. And the Bible is relating us to that. Turn to the person next to you and say, Someone once shared of sheep this. Sheep are dependent creatures, singularly unintelligent, prone to wandering, and unable to find their way to a shepherd even when they are in sight. And we are sheep. What a great picture to hang our hats on this morning. 
So let's look at the qualities of sheep. I've been really getting into sheep farming in preparation for the sermon. The first one is that sheep have the tendency to wander off and get lost. A strong tendency to wander off and get lost. Isaiah 53, 6, we have all like sheep gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have to acknowledge that. Okay, I have the tendency to wander off and get lost. I have the tendency to go and choose my own way. Meh. Sheep are stubborn. They are so stubborn. They fight against what's good for them. Acts 7.51, you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. We can be stubborn. We can fight against what's good for us. Sheep are incredibly vulnerable and unable to defend themselves. Prone to attack. Ephesians 6 calls us to put on the full armor of God in order to defend ourselves as vulnerable people. Sheep are exceptionally skittish and prone to fear. The smallest of incidents can set them off into a wild panic. How many times is the beer? The, the, the beer. Wow. How many times does the Bible tell us to fear not? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a member now. That was one of the modules in the uh, CFC. Okay. Let's carry on. Thank you. Sheep are herd animals. They live in community, right? Just like us. I mean, the Bible calls us, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, love one another, build unity. We, we heard a lot of it this morning. And then sheep are also exceptionally prone to mob mentality. I didn't bring the picture here, but there's a picture of sheep going through a fence and on all these, sorry, through a gate, all the sheep are following the sheep through the gate, but there's no fence. And Ezekiel talks to us about the fact that, like, that they will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. Protest, the mob mentality. We are actually a lot like sheep, stubborn, prone to wandering off, vulnerable, skittish and afraid. And in community, sometimes prone to mob mentality. But the biggest thing, the main point, is that sheep require more care than any other class of livestock. A sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. Can we acknowledge that this morning, that as sheep, we cannot survive without a shepherd? Your soul will wither and die without a shepherd. And maybe today is the day where we actually just go, you know what, I'm not in control. Maybe today we actually realize that it's incredibly liberating to be set free from ourselves and to set, be set into following God. So let's talk about the qualities of a shepherd. During the day, a shepherd guides us. The shepherd reads the seasons. He knows which lands are good. He's constantly looking at what's happening in the environment and he's looking at his herd and he's thinking about where to place them. He's thinking about where to move them. He knows where to take them. And he goes to his sheep and he intimately guides them from place to place to make sure that they are in the right place for the right season. 
The good shepherd guides us. He's qualified to guide us. He watches over us. Not only does he watch over us as a herd, as a flock, sorry, but he watches over us because the wool is so prone to picking up little parasites and ticks, and so he has to go through that wool and to remove stuff. He watches over the land in which we are, are, are sitting or, 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 or in, that there aren't any parasites, there aren't any um, things like snakes and whatnot. And then he's watching out for predators that are coming to take the vulnerable sheep. So he watches over us. He provides for us. He makes sure that he takes us into places where there's the food that we need to survive and the water that we need to survive. He provides for our needs and he protects us. The shepherd would carry two things, a rod and a staff. A little bit later in Psalm 23, it says, your rod and your staff protect me. Now, these two instruments were, were different. The rod was a short, almost like this microphone. It was short and it was heavy. And, and he would use the rod in particular to fight off cougars and, and, and lions and bears, wherever they were shepherding. It was used as a defense mechanism. And sometimes it would also be used to throw at a sheep if it was about to do something that was for its harm. So it was used for discipline as well. And the other thing that the rod would be used for is that sometimes he would hold the rod up and he would call the sheep to walk under the rod and he would use that as a counting mechanism to see how many of his sheep were currently in that flock. So the rod was used for protection, it was used as discipline, and it was used to count the sheep. The same rod that is spoken about when it, when it refers to the word mate is the same word that was used when Moses went to Pharaoh and called him to release his people from Egypt. And the thing about that is that the rod represents the power and the authority of God. So when we talk about the rod protects me, we're talking about the word of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the final authority that God has. And so how are we protected in our relationship with God? Well, we're protected by the fact that the word in the Bible is not some fiction, but it's absolute truth that can be applied directly into our lives. And so when we follow Christ and we immerse ourselves in the word and we believe what's said in the Bible and we proclaim that over our lives and we come in line with what is said in the word, then that brings us the protection that we need. His rod protects us. His rod disciplines us. And then he has the staff. The staff was a longer, uh, it's here. Sorry, no, I'm describing this thing. The staff had the, the hook. And what he would do with the staff is that, especially when the ewes had, had lambs, he would bring the ewes closer to the lamb because he didn't want to touch them to get a scent on the lamb. Or sometimes a sheep would be wandering off and he would just give it a gentle prod with the staff to get back in line. The staff represents a picture of intimacy and of bringing those sheep into community and keeping them close. And the staff represents in this aspect the idea of the Holy Spirit, prompting us, guiding us, calling us back into community, calling us back into relationship. It was used for, for, for this gentle, intimate guidance of his people. And so when we read the rod and the staff, we read about the Word of God and the Spirit of God protects us. These are the two instruments that the Good Shepherd would use to lead his flock. And those are the instruments that Jesus uses as we follow him, his Word, his canon, and his Spirit. And through that, we find protection. Through that, we find liberation. Through that, we walk in steadfastness. 
That's just during the day. What does he do at night? At night, he brings them into a fold. Got a picture of a fold here. What is a fold? It's a, a round sort of semicircle of stones that he builds. And why he builds them is that he wants to protect the sheep from having predators come at them at night from the, these angles. But you can see that the fold has got a gap because he needs to get the sheep in there. The shepherd will sleep across the entrance of the fold through the night to look out for predators from that side. Psalm 121 says, He will not slumber, he who watches over me. Jesus guards us, protects us, provides for us, and at night he's watching over us. At night he's interceding for us. At night he's, he's, he's not slumbering. The shepherd is lying across that front, but he's aware of what's going on with his flock. This is 24-7 care that the shepherd provides the sheep. All so that the sheep, the flock can thrive and the flock can be at rest. And if we get lost, what does the shepherd do? He goes out to find you and to bring you back. And so when the Lord says, I am a good shepherd, this is what he means. These are the things, the qualities of a shepherd. Do you want to be a sheep under the care of a good shepherd? It is said that the intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep is so strong that sheep actually get to know the voice of their particular shepherd. And sometimes shepherds join their flocks at night in those folds. And in order to get their, their, their flock out, he'll just walk in between his flock and he'll begin speaking. And the sheep will naturally start to move towards their shepherd. And then they'll move out. John 27, 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's the beauty about what it means. And incidentally, shepherding is used a lot to speak about leadership. And the difference between being a good shepherd over your people or being a bad shepherd. And we get this example of Jesus being the good shepherd in our lives, and we too get to be good shepherds in the lives of other people. I was going to Joburg on Wednesday, and I was talking to my girls before I went, and Anna thought I was going to do DIY. And um, Ella said, no, Anna, Dad's going to help bad bosses be good bosses. I thought that was pretty cool. John 10, 10, 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And this is why David says, I shall not want, because he knows the goodness of the shepherd. And he's not talking about lacking stuff. He himself went through a whole lot of lack in his own life. He's talking about being absolute, absolutely content under the care of the shepherd, no matter what's going on in his life. And so when you read that one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it means I am absolutely content that I'm under the care of the shepherd. And no matter what I'm going through right now, I don't lack because the shepherd is over my life and I'm following him. And he will lead me where he needs me to go. And so I can surrender in this moment rather than take control. I can let go rather than try and figure it out. I can pray and proclaim and confess rather than try and sit down and mind map this thing and, and navigate my way out of the situation. God is in control. He is the shepherd and I can be content in that. I can enter into a state of rest because he's a good shepherd who loves me intimately. He's got his rod. He's got his staff. He's guarding. He's looking. He's looking where he needs to take me. He's sleeping over the entrance of the fold at night. And if I do get exceptionally lost, he's coming after me with that staff and he's going to lift me out of that situation. Walk and step with Him. Be the sheep. Why must we be in control? Why must we lead our own lives? Why do we need to be the ones that are, are, are setting ourselves up for the future? Let God do it. It's liberating. The older I get, the more I want that. 
That's exceptionally freeing. Verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. How beautiful is that picture? Who could do with some lying down in some green pastures next to some still waters? There's two things I want to focus on here, lying down and drinking. In a, a book that I read called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, the author Philip Keller spent many years shepherding in East Africa and then in America. And he said that there's four conditions that have to be present in order for a sheep to lie down at night. If these four things are not all present, the sheep won't lie down. It won't rest, it won't sleep. And so part of the shepherd's role is to make sure that these four things are not as part of the flock. The first one is freedom from fear. The second one is no tension amongst them. The third one is no aggravations caused by disease and parasites. And the fourth one is no hunger. Interesting. The stark reality is that only the shepherd can create the conditions, those conditions for his flock. The sheep are unable to create those conditions themselves. Only the shepherd can create those conditions. So when we look at the freedom from fear, as soon as the shepherd pitches up with the flock, to the flock with the rod and the staff, his presence dispels fear and the sheep relax. The sheep feel safe when the presence is there. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for, I am with you. Be not dismayed for, I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not on repeat. His presence immediately shifts the behavior of the herd. If there's tension amongst them, the shepherd only needs to walk in between those two that are having a go at each other and they will disperse, they will relax, they will calm down. And in the same way, the Bible gives us so much guidance and advice. And we know when the Spirit works in the, in the midst of the, the, the relational strife that we face, and as we, as we pray into it and as, we, as we're on board how God asks us to approach one another, so tensions between us are minimized. And the Word instructs us not to let the sun go down on our anger because it gives us the tools to minimize that tension between each other. God's presence removes aggravations. Philipp, Philippians 4 verses 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The things that we worry about, the things that are aggravating us, the, the, the stuff that's attached to us, the stuff that's bothering us, just like sheep can't lie down when they're aggravated, we find we can't get into rest when we've got aggravations. But the Bible says, don't worry about that, pray. Pray to who? The good shepherd, because he's looking over you. He can dispel fear. He can sort tensions out between us and our, 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 the people around us. He can remove aggravations and He feeds us. He provides for our needs. He can remove hunger. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, His presence creates the conditions for rest. His presence creates the conditions for your soul to thrive. And if you need rest, if that picture of the green pastures and, and the water is something that your soul so deeply craves, well, all you need is His presence. There's no three-step plan or self-help course that you need to do. All you need is His intimate presence. And then you will lie down and you will sleep. 
You're trying to sort out your fear. You're trying to sort out your aggravations. You're trying to sort out your needs. You're trying to sort out all your tensions. Only the presence of God can dispel all of that and bring you into a state of rest. Again, can we surrender? And then he causes us to drink. One of the roles of the shepherd is to absolutely make sure that his sheep drink clean water. Because sheep are prone to going and drinking from muddy pools. And what's in muddy pools? Parasites, disease, and they get sick. And to drink spiritually means to take in the word, his presence, a relationship with him, to believe and to accept. And one of the most beautiful images that I saw when I was researching this is that one of the ways that a shepherd gets his sheep to drink is by releasing them out into the pasture in the early morning to drink and to suck, the, to, 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 to lick the dew off the grass. The picture of it here. And it's this picture of the early morning dew waking up to be in Christ's presence, waking up to read his word, waking up to pray, waking up to be with him. It's not a, a chore that we do. It's not, a, it's not a reluctant thing that we do. We're drinking the stuff that our soul needs to feed on. We're drinking the sustenance that our the souls need in order to thrive and to survive. Sorry, I know I'm running out of time here. In Jeremiah, it says, Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, that's who we drink from. They've dug their own cisterns and broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And that's what we do. We go and we drink from everything else that we think will satisfy us, except for the one thing that will, which is Christ. We are sheep needing to be followed by needing to follow a good shepherd. And then to close, verse 3, it says this, He restores my soul, and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. There's a big threat in the sheep farming world, and it has to do with something called a cast sheep. Sheep, when they lie down, sometimes roll a little bit too far. We've got a photo of a cast sheep here, and as soon as they roll too far, they actually can't get up again. It's pathetic. <laughs> that sheep is cast. It cannot get up again. Now, the problem with a cast sheep is that when it's cast, gases start to build up in its rumen, its digest digestive tract. On a hot day, the sheep will last three hours and it will die. On a cold day, it might last two days. Shepherds are constantly on the lookout for cast sheep because a cast sheep cannot right-size itself. The only way for a cast sheep to get back on its feet is for a shepherd to pick it up and to put it back on its feet. Then it has to rub its legs to get the blood flow back in, and then what it does is it guides it back to the flock. David, in one of the Psalms, spoke to his soul, and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This community is not a community of cast-down sheep. Cast-down sheep are incredibly vulnerable to predators. When a cast-down sheep is lying like that, it cannot defend itself at all. It's easy prey. And that's why the shepherd looks for the cast-down sheep to right-size the sheep and to get it back into community because it's, while it's out there lying down, it's going to die. And it's either going to die because of what happens in its body or it's going to die because it's going to get eaten by the devil. It's going to get eaten by prey. It's going to get eaten by the things that are going at us. 
And so we've got to speak to our own souls as well and say, let us not be cast down. Let the good shepherd come into your life and right-size you, get you back on your feet, but then he will point you back here to a community of people who are not cast down, but who hope in the Lord. And we have to be a community in a city that's cast down and point them towards what it means to hope in the Lord because our hope is not in logic and in government and all those sort of things around us. Our hope primarily and first and foremost is in the Good Shepherd. And when we follow the Good Shepherd, our souls come alive. We begin to thrive. We aren't cast down anymore. And in turn, like David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. We can genuinely and authentically and sincerely say that in front of people. The Lord is my shepherd. I am completely content in his care. He watches over me. He guides me, provides for my needs. He leads me where I need to go. And he is my protector. He watches me as I sleep. When I'm lost, he goes and finds me. And when I'm cast down, all I need to do is call out to him and he'll right-size me and he'll bring me back into community. And within that your soul will thrive. Can we have that as a a declaration here today? We are not a cast down community. So let's stand as sheep who are not cast down. St. Augustine was once quoted as saying, Oh God, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless, searching till they find rest in thee. And I think this soul care series has been so powerful, and there's so much that we can grab onto from every single sermon that's happened. And that underlying all of that is this very point. Your souls will thrive when they are in relationships with Christ. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Satisfaction comes from relationship with Christ. And all our desire from this sermon this morning is for us to be encouraged that being a sheep is actually liberating. And it's not a picture of weakness. It's not a picture of, of meekness and mildness as we get portrayed as, as, as one of the most vulnerable animals in the animal kingdom. But actually it's a position of strength because we're sitting under the shepherd. And that's the whole picture. And for some of us here this morning, it's time to let go. It's time to surrender. It's time to stop the worrying. It's time to stop the plotting. It's time to stop the scheming, the figuring out, the the endless pursuits of trying to get to where you feel God is meant to take you and just let Him be the good shepherd. Be the sheep. Love being the sheep. So Father, I just pray over that this morning. And firstly, we thank you that you are a good shepherd. And I pray over all of us, me included, who try to take the reins and who wander off in search of the grass that we think that we need and we end up in the cliffs and we end up stuck. Man, Lord, I can't thank you enough that you are the good shepherd that doesn't write us off in those moments but that you genuinely leave the 99 and you come and look for us and you bring us back and we still wonder and you still prod us and you still bring us back. You are 24-7 committed to us. And so we praise your holy name, Lord God.
If you're here this morning and you just want to, all eyes closed, you, you want to come back to the, sh- the, the shepherd. If you, if you want to join us as sheep, just, just raise your hands. I want to pray over you. If you want to come under the care of the good shepherd, thank you. Just raise your hands. Just, and just as your hands are raised, just say, I accept you as the shepherd of my soul. I accept my position as a sheep who follows you. And I choose now not to try and lead my own life, but to be led by you. And may your spirit just bring rest right now as we come back into the, the order that we're meant to live in, Father God. Sheep being led by a good shepherd. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at enderban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.